Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, March 20th, 2022. Mr. Mark Daly, Mr. Mark Hamilton sitting here about to to recap the very first race of the 2022 Formula One World Championship that took place earlier today in Bahrain. Vincenzo is not here tonight. He's at home with the family. He did send us some of his thoughts and I'm sure by now after a couple of weeks, you know where Vincenzo's heart lies. We'll get to that in a moment. But Mark, what what do you think? What did you? you I, I'm not gonna say. Did you enjoy it or did you not enjoy it? Obviously, we all enjoyed that race. It was a great start to the season. A lot of interesting things happened. Oh my goodness! I I cannot I cannot express how excited and how happy I am. And it really started about a week ago with the release of Drive to Survive after. Mm-hmm. All the negativity that we went through during the winter break over what had happened in the finale last season that, to me, Drive to Survive was something of a soft reset and a reboot to kind of recalibrate our understanding of what F1 is. And it's fun. It's entertainment, right? And this race weekend was absolutely everything that I could possibly have hoped it would have been. You know, you and I have been Formula One fans for decades. And Formula One's come to us before and they've promised that, hey, we fix competitive balance. Now it's going to be better. There's going to be more, there's going to be less turbulent air. There's going to be more overtaking. I think this time they cracked it. And this is really the culmination of Liberty, of Formula One's master plan. Liberty yep. bought the product in 2017. They've had five years. They've reworked the Concord Agreement. They've instituted new technical regulations with the FIA, new sporting regulations. They got all of the teams on board. They have a cost cap. Oh my goodness. And then this race weekend, this was the culmination in the sense that we were seeing the final product for the first time, which is these new 2022 cars. And I won't, I won't, I won't tease. I I won't even, I won't even spoil any of this because we get into it with Tim, but my goodness, it was everything I could have expected it to be. And for me, it was ultra special because this is already a really important weekend for our family. It's, it's Noru's, it's Persian New Year. It's a really important time of year for us. And the last couple of years didn't really happen because of COVID. And because they turned COVID off a couple of weeks ago where we live, it's just now over. Fantastic. Knock on wood. We can celebrate Persian New Year. and We can be with our friends, can be with our family and do things that we haven't been able to do. So for me, this weekend, Noru's was already a really special time. And it's fantastic. In this exciting, fantastic, sensational race made it all the better. Yeah. Well, that, that that's wonderful. And it really is, um, it's it's a much more positive time, obviously, that, than it was even just a couple of weeks ago. This, for me, this race was the cherry on the uh, on the cake. So it was just, uh, it, was, it was a fun way to, to end the weekend. Despite all the drama that happened on the track, it was a good, good race. Uh, before we get to Vincenzo, and before we get to the main show itself, which we co-recorded with our good friend, uh, Tim Haraney from the, the TSN Racing Pod. Mark, give us an update on our uh, F1 Fantasy League that uh, obviously started today we we've got some big numbers came in unfortunately i i may have invested heavily in canadian drivers so I, <laughs> I wouldn't have I expected think- any less <laughs> I'm currently actually all things considered i have charles Leclerc, so that helped a lot but i'm currently 288th out of the two 
1,000 entries. We came just shy of 2,000 entries, which is absolutely phenomenal and beyond your expectations, my expectation, Vincenzo's expectation. So thank you to everyone that joined. I'll quickly run everyone through the top five, which we'll do every single week just to make sure that people understand who's leading. Right now, in first place, Arter P, he has 327 points. Number two, Britain H with 319 points. Number three, Carrie and D with 307 points. Number four, Team Diavoli Skeletto. That's Jason P's team with 306 points. Tied for number four, Matt, or Matt the Captain the third. That's Matt F's team, 306 points. So congratulations to all of those people that had. Uh, I don't know, a magic eight ball, a magic lamp, whatever it is that helps you see into the future and could conjure up the vision of what was going to happen this weekend. Kudos to all of you for getting a great jump start because for everyone that was relying a lot on Red Bull power in their teams with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, for those of you that didn't have them on your roster this weekend, you did pretty darn well into those Five people that are leading the uh, the competition so far. Great job. Let's hope that our F1 Fantasy League uh, is as tight and as exciting all season long like and we saw with this race. And soon, I promise. <laughs> prizes will be announced soon, I promise. Awesome. Well, like I say, we got Tim Haraney on deck here, but uh, we got to let Vincenzo, and uh, you know, before we even you know get this uh, play, this little clip he sent us, you know where this is going, but we got to let him uh, enjoy what happened in Bahrain. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, one, two, Ferrari, one, two, number one in this race in Bahrain. Uh, guys, I, I, the literal emotion was so great that I needed about 10 minutes to even be able to speak after this race. This means so freaking much to Itifosi. To Italians, it's pride. This is passion. And finally, we're able to do something that we haven't done in a long time. My uncle actually texted me right after, and he was the one who got me into Formula One. And he said, Finalmente da troppo tempo che aspettavamo questo momento. Vai Ferrari. Essentially what he's saying is that finally, it's been way too long for this particular moment, for this moment, that we've been waiting for this moment. And... uh you know, go Ferrari. So ah, I echo the same sentiment. You know, this is a long time coming. This is something that we've wanted and that we've needed, quite frankly. I'm, I'm beyond happy. Let's just put it that way. Well, we all expected that uh, Vincenzo would be uh, happy with uh, with this one. And I mean, it was a great performance uh, by the Scuderia. I mean, let's uh, le- let's be honest about it. They had a, a great uh, weekend. They did not uh, put a wheel wrong, but with both cars. And uh, who knows uh, if it? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously a one-two was a great uh, great finish for them. And we'll see what happens uh, from here on in. But as promised, we do have a, a full show here with Tim Haraney. And you can follow Tim on Twitter at Tim Haraney. You can find him on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. You can go to the TSN.ca uh, website, and that's uh, TSN.ca forward slash TSN dash racing dash pod and you can find all of his stuff there that's it from us catch you in the rest of the show joined by the boys from scooter f1 podcast mark hamilton and mark daly uh guys what 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 a race i mean mark hamilton i'll start with you first uh i guess what was your favorite part of that whole thing oh man i i honestly don't know where to even start i just 
for me, the one word that comes to mind after watching this is sensational. And I don't want to backtrack and beleaguer the point too much, but really what we saw today was the culmination of all the work that Formula One, that Liberty of that the FIA have done over the course of the last five years. And what we saw was just a sensational Grand Prix. But for me, speaking as a MotoGP fan, and I get a ton, I get a ton of slander because I actually like MotoGP more, despite the fact that I do a Formula One podcast. <laughs> the reason is there's just so much racing and overtaking and racecraft. And today we got a taste of that. And for me, the best part was actual head-to-head racing and overtaking and lead changes. For me, that was the favorite. That was the best part. Did you see uh, Mark Marquez's crash the other day? Yeah. Shout out to Mark Marquez. <laughs> Missed the Grand Prix this weekend in MotoGP. Hope he gets better. That oh was a God. violent, violent crash. He's lucky. He is so lucky. Um, if you want more from Mark Hamilton, you can get him at Mark in Van City. Mark Daly also joining us today. If you want anything from him on social media, go to at Mark Daly F1. Uh, Daly, you go from couch to F1 podcast. Yeah, literally. I mean, uh, uh, today was just a crazy day. And so I didn't get to actually watch the the, the Grand Prix till later on this afternoon on uh, the, the the West Coast here. So I literally went from couch to studio to sit down here. So I mean, I'm still trying to you guys have at least had, a, you know, several hours to process all of this. I'm still <laughs> high. What? You know, OK, this happened and that happened. But, you know, it was awesome to see, like like Hammy was saying, great to see this uh, this vision that Liberty hatched, you know, a number of years ago now actually mm-hmm. on the track. I mean, it wasn't testing. It wasn't. Uh, practice it wasn't qualifying it was an actual race and and that series of laps uh, between uh, Charles and Max trading the, the the lead there was it with uh, th- was it three laps in a row that was outstanding but just a head-to-head racing for, from top to bottom and I loved it I thought it was a uh, really exciting and you know I mean if you look down the top 10 you got Charles and Carlos the two Ferraris one two Lewis sneaking in onto the podium which was obviously not expected George Russell P5, Kevin Magnus. You got to give a, a shout out to K Mag. Obviously, that uh, P5 is uh, somewhat inflated uh, due to the uh, the double DNF of the Red Bull boys there in the last couple of maps, but or laps, pardon me. But that was a solid outing for for Magnussen. I mean, he was on for points no matter what happened in that race. Valtteri Bottas six, Esteban Ocon seventh, Yuki Sonoda eighth, Fernando ninth, and Guan Yu Zhu rounding out the top ten. So, I mean. I know that's, I mean, there's was some <laughs> solid, solid drives out there, but I mean, everybody's going to talk about Red Bull and that, uh, that, that double DNF. And then you look at it, if you, the, the Red Bull family it was only Yuki made it home today. I mean, Gasly had that big fire in his car that set off that whole drama in the last 10 laps. Mark Daly, you are so fired up, man. I just want to give you a Snickers and a Coke and let you drag your car home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Well, uh, if you want more I warned you. The boys at- What's that? I warned you guys that I was coming in hot. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> if you want more from the guys from Scuderia F1 Podcast, you can get them on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. Uh, also, if you want to listen to the Scuderia F1 Podcast, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Guys, I mean, we've entered a completely new era here. And yeah, we've kind of touched on it a little bit just off the top here. I mean, did this race deliver everything that... I guess we had hoped, I mean, to see heading into 2022. I, I, I mean, you kind of touched on this, you know, a bit with with Liberty Media and what they want to do and overhauling everything and kind of creating their own vision of what they want their Formula One to be. And I think slowly we're kind of we're kind of getting there, right? I mean, I think during preseason testing, a lot of us just weren't too sure where everything was kind of going to stack up in terms of can they follow each other? Can they pass? What are the tires like? Do they overheat? Is this just going to be a procession? What what are we going to expect here? So, yeah, I, I mean, 
I think Mark, you're you're right. Like this is this was actually something pretty spectacular. But I feel like this we're we're just kind of skimming the surface on this, hmm. and there's just much <clears throat> more that's going to come. Totally, yeah, totally, I completely, completely agree. You know, we we've seen instances in the past where the FIA and Formula One they've they've soft rebooted the regulations in the effort to create more competitive parity and more racing and more overtaking. This was significantly more drastic than we've ever seen before. But Tim, I think you absolutely nail it in the sense that we completely overhauled the technical regulations of the sport. And I think these teams are still really coming to grips with exactly what it is that they're bringing to the track. And I think what we saw today is probably going to be very different than what we see three or four or five or six Grand Prix from now as these teams continue to develop these cars. Because remember, they got three days in Barcelona as a shakedown, three days in Bahrain, and then they go straight into a Grand Prix weekend with cars that are significantly different than anything that they've ever seen before. So for me, I'm optimistic because I think the pack can probably even tighten up a little bit more. And obviously what we saw today with Red Bull and the fuel pumps, those double DNFs, which we can get into a little bit later, that's probably not going to happen too often. But I think what was really, really exciting was the fact that we saw Haas break into the points. They almost had two cars in the points. They scored no points last year. Alfa mm-hmm. Romeo, they were a disaster last year. No points. They had two cars in the points. Like this is, this is what was promised. This is what we had all hoped for. And this is what we got. And then on top of that, we got a race winner who hasn't been on the top of the podium since 2019. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the, Basically, the the reverse arrow regulations for wind tunnel testing and CFD design, I think, plays a huge role in in all of this. You know, obviously Haas getting the most amount because they were the worst team, right? And they're kind of making that pay off. But again, like they also have that relationship with with Ferrari, right? If, right. For those of you who who do not know out there, I mean, um, once the cost cap came in, Ferrari had to either furlough their race engineers because they couldn't keep them around because they couldn't afford them, or they can move them over to a separate division within Marinello that now belongs to Haas. Mm. So the two of them are now sharing somewhat of a similar type of factory deal. I mean, obviously not the entire car is built there, but some of it is being done there. And some of the CFD design is also being done there as well. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Uh, the more the season rolls along and if Haas continues to be uber competitive, I can really see some team principals getting in the mix here and really wanting to take a look at what's going on in, in Marinello sure. uh, because yep. it's, yeah, you know, I, I spoke with right. Gunther Steiner about this when they did their car launch and he had explained everything. And, you know, to me, the, the alarm bells were like ringing, like, like, I don't know if this is going to be a problem for you guys <laughs> once we get further on into the season, but who knows? Here we go. But again, obviously having that for our power unit in the back of the car too also helps, which is, I mean, Mark Dale, you can talk about this. I mean, the, I mean that engine sucked for a couple of years after right? they got busted. And you know what? I, I think they have one of the best power units on the grid right now. 
Well, we'll look at all the Ferrari-powered uh, cars that were in the top 10 and just uh, see how the Mercedes struggled. But I mean, just getting away from the power units, just looking, comparing the cars sort of head-to-head, when you look at the, 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 the Ferrari, the Red Bull, and compare them to the Mercedes, the Mercedes, to me, just doesn't look right. And I mean, I'm saying this as a layperson without, obviously access to all the data and input on the design. And I mean, I know that there's a ton of this goes in and, and you know, and, and the data is what the data is, right? That the, that the engineers are seeing, but it's funny when you look at these other teams that have like the big full on side pods and the way that uh, the, the Mercedes is really kind of streamlined and pinched through there. It's just the whole line of the car is so radically different from say the other big teams. And for me, it's just like what the, the one's, I know this is a very basic level of looking at it, but it's just like to me, if, if it looks right, it has to work right. And and just for me, the Mercedes just looks a little awkward. It just doesn't look as as, as fluid and as, as streamlined and sleek as say the, the the Red Bull and the Ferrari and even some of the other cars that uh, that maybe finished behind them because they were just not a threat all weekend long. I mean, you go back to qualifying. Lewis was like 1.4 seconds off of uh, off of Charles's pole time. I mean, it was that's a light year. That's amazing. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, I spoke with... Sorry, go ahead, Hammy. No, I I was just going to say you make such a a great point, and I I look forward to hearing Tim's remarks because he's got some really great accesses. But, you know, I I agree with you that I think Formula One drivers make driving a Formula One car look really easy. And Tim, Mm -hmm. you know this better than anyone. You've raced (laughs) at some incredibly high levels. Like, it is physically exhausting to get a car like that around the track, but you can see watching this broadcast today that there are certain teams and certain drivers that are struggling to maneuver those cars to the corner. And unfortunately the Ferrari or the Ferrari, the Mercedes seems to lack stability and balance. And Rosanna Tennant interviewed uh, George Russell this afternoon after the race. And she was asking him about the porpoising issue. And he acknowledged that that car bounced all over Mm. the track for 60 laps. Like one that's physically draining on the driver, but that significantly impacts the stability and balance and the handling of that car. So I think daily, you're right that there's a lot of work left to do with that Mercedes despite (laughs) the three, four finish. Yeah. Just to touch on a couple of things there. I mean, with a ground effect car, you know, most of my racing career in the formula cars was in a ground effect uh, car and it's very physical, like, because 
the faster it goes, the more it kind of gets sucked to the ground, like any car that has aerodynamics. But with a ground effect car, it's actually even more. And so you actually are feeling more of the bumps that are, are in the road that much more. And sometimes you kind of have to use those bumps to kind of turn the car into the corner. Sometimes you have to use them to your advantage because with a ground effect car, it's kind of hard to turn in on the brakes because sometimes you want that brake bias kind of set to the front a little bit more so you can get a little more rotation in the rear. But with a ground effect car, it's kind of hard to do that. So you have to try and use sometimes the bumps to actually get that rotation into the car. And, you know, for this is why these guys are paid the big bucks, right? Because they're sure. able to like figure these things out just like so fast. For Mercedes in particular, you know, talking to Total Wolf, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell over the weekend, I mean, they really, they really like this car and they think that it has a ton of upside to it and there's a ton of potential in it to be unlocked. The problem is, is that they're having trouble with, there's a, there's a number of different issues, um, but most importantly, obviously is, is the bouncing or the, or the porpoising um, that they call it. And you know, Total Wolf believes in this direction because I had asked him like, hey, you brought a car to Barcelona and the car you brought to Barcelona is totally different from the car you brought you brought to Bahrain. And I said, look, you're, you're struggling here in Bahrain. Is there a happy medium between the two? Because if we look at the Red Bull, if we look at the Ferrari, they're still using their side pods. They're just using them in a different way, right, guys? Yeah. I mean, with the Mercedes, it doesn't have any side pods on it whatsoever and it's creating so much downforce from that um ground effect right that they're porpoising so much and so that's why i asked him the question and he's steadfast man like he believes that what they have is is gold and when they figure it out i think they i think they think they've got like a championship winning car on their hands here it's just going to take a few races like until we get into the heart of the season before they actually really sort of figure it out physically wise i mean you know, Mark H, you bring up a great point because I, I actually asked Lewis about that, the physicality of it. How does it feel? And um, for him, he, he's having some lower back issues because of it, because of how hard they're actually like hitting, hitting the pavement, um, going down the straightaway and into the braking zone. So I don't know how much more these guys' bodies can like take that because it's, it's very aggressive, isn't it? Like very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Totally. It's been reported in a couple of places that these drivers are regularly seeing physio immediately after yeah. practice and qualifying and racing that the teams are specifically making accommodations. And it was interesting as well that I, I was listening to an interview earlier today, again, with Rosanna Tennant and Oscar Piastri. And, and she asked him specifically like, Hey, you know, you spent a lot of time in the sim. You spent a lot of time around the factory Were teams expecting this porpoising issue. And this is just his perspective, but they were caught completely off guard and they were totally unaware that they couldn't emulate this in the tunnels. They couldn't emulate this in CFD. And subsequent to that, the team are basically on the back foot trying to address this in real time because the mm -hmm. season happens so quickly. Now, maybe the good news is this is a 23 race marathon, right? Like this isn't mm -hmm. a 17, 18 race mm -hmm. championship. And for Mercedes, not only did they cash in on some really valuable points today, despite the fact that the car is clearly not optimized in the way that Total and Lewis think it can be, but Red Bull scored no points. So this puts them in a really competitive position, even if it's going to take them another couple Grand Prix to get this car right to where they need it to be. It's interesting. It's kind of like um, during preseason testing in Bahrain, you know, you, I heard stories of like some of the Mercedes Mercedes crew actually 
just going to town with like a Dremel tool <laughs> and almost like a sawzall, like wow. just like daily, just, just cutting floors out of just cutting pieces of, out of the floor of that out of that Mercedes car. Absolutely wild. Eh? When was did you ever think in 2022 you'd hear a story like that? No, no not in this well, day and it, age because everything seems like it's so. I mean, it's so scientific and everything is just almost so perfect to, to, to see like those old school kind of fixes. I mean, yeah, if that was maybe the 70s, the 80s, maybe even like the 90s, but I mean, <laughs> not not in the 2020s, especially not uh, Mercedes. But hey, I mean, the thing is, they've had their problems and who, who's to say, you know, is Red Bull the team to beat? Is it going to be Ferrari? Whoever it is, right now, Mercedes is struggling. So if you have a bit of a competitive advantage over them right now, try and extend that as much as you can, as fast as you can, because we we've seen over the years even in this dominant stretch whenever they hit a bit of a you know a rocky patch excuse me they would always go away and then after like a, a race or two or whatever they would just double down and they would work hard and they would come back and they'd be even better so i mean if there's one team you don't want to bet against to get this figured out it would be mercedes right yeah absolutely and i think <clears throat> for 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 mercedes like listening to toto and you know he was telling us they're he feels there's about a five tenth gap that they're missing, hmm. and he thinks that they can get that back. Like he's very confident um, in that. And you had mentioned earlier, Daily, about the engines. So they are still aren't sure if it's if they're having trouble with the amount of drag that's coming off the car, or if they're having trouble with with the engines. Hmm. So that's interesting. It could be a coincidence that you know those Mercedes cars were at the back, like powered cars were at the back. Could be a coincidence. They're not saying it. There's anything going on with the engines yet, but they need to. Total Wolf had explained that they need to take a closer look at that. And he he kept mentioning drag, 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 and I'm I'm sitting there wondering like, why does he keep saying? I mean, they don't have side pods. How is he getting so much drag off the car? Right. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's a moving target for them at, at the moment, and it's going to be interesting to hear if they do have any troubles with the engine because <clears> then that would lead me to think that they could have problems with Hamilton that um Mark Hamilton that, that that E10 fuel that they're starting to run now. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is guys, if I can just uh, jump in here too just with the, to to finish this thought off is that uh, when it comes to all these and not just to specifically limited to, to Mercedes, but anybody that is still trying to figure these uh, th- these new cars out, is I can't help that perhaps it uh, you know, they're trying to solve one one issue and it's almost kind of, kind of like an onion. Okay, well we we figured out this when you peel off a layer and something else kind of like pops up and 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 like Hammy was saying just now it might take several races or, or maybe it was you Tim before everybody gets this uh, figured out but I I think that compared to last year and or well every year in the past considering we're now in this new radical world is that everybody's still trying to figure out what's going on in real time and uh, this is very much uh, and well it's not really an exercise anymore because it's reality but it's it's trying to you know figure out these cars or are they wh- why are they not working the way that we expect them to and what do we need to do and then you start trying to remedy these things as oh, oh hey this brings up another problem we didn't even expect so it's it's a fascinating time just to to follow the the geeky stuff in formula 1 for sure and looking at Ferrari, I mean, obviously, Charles Leclerc winning the Bahrain Grand Prix, Carlos Sainz's teammate coming home second. For for Carlos in particular, I mean, even though it was a second place, like body language says uh, a ton of things, and he does does not look happy about finishing second uh, to Charles. And I'm not saying that there is a any sort of a rivalry starting there or anything like that, but I think it shows just how competitive Carlos is mm-hmm. and 
I, I honestly don't think he's going to want to take a backseat to anybody this season. He's in a contract year, uh, and I think he's going to try and he he's going to want to try and have a chance at winning a championship as fast and as soon as he can. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think that Carlos was a little bit lucky to finish that race. I mean, Alex almost put his front wheel through his side pod there and, into turn <laughs> one. So I think the the, the radio message from, from Carlos was, oh my God, what's this guy doing? And that was a little bit close. But yeah, it's funny because um, when you look at Carlos, he's kind of he's kind of like a, a conservative kind of guy. I mean, he's not really one of these really flamboyant uh, characters. I mean, he's not on the radio dropping F-bombs all over the place. He's not like one of these really bubbly personalities in front of the microphone. He's, he's very businesslike. And I mean, I, I think that last year in 2021, I think out of everybody that uh, that switched teams, I think he did the best job. And I, I don't think that everybody really, I think he kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but certainly he isn't a guy that likes to, to play second fiddle to, to anyone else. And I mean, he's not a young driver anymore. He's what, what, 25, 26? I mean, that class of drivers that we all can kind of think, hey, they're, they're 18, 19. They're also like in their mid-20s now. So again, like you say, he's in a contract year. He's got something to prove. He obviously feels he can race wheel to wheel with, with Charles. And if he can do it, more power to him. Carlos will actually turn, and I was just looking this up. I do not know this verbatim, but he turns 28 in September. 28? So 28 Holy smokes. Over. Yeah. Wow. He, yeah, he entered the sport back in, I think, 2014, 2015. But, wow. you know, Tim, you made a really, really astute observation, and it's something that we touched on during our preseason show, which is, you know, last year, everything in, in the Ferrari world was rainbows and unicorns and sugar candy because they were outperforming the expectations of the pundits and the analysts, <clears throat> and they had a really solid year, and they they leapfrogged. They leaped frog McLaren, partly on the back of the fact that McLaren underperformed in the back half of the season, but also because they brought their power unit earlier than expected. I think people expected that power unit for this year. So they put in a really strong back half of the season. But again, there were there were no circumstances where these two drivers were competing for a race win. And I think the, the feedback and the conversation during the offseason is, okay, you take these guys that clearly both very professional funk actors. They had a great year. The chemistry seemed good, but what happens when they are suddenly now fighting for a race win? And you know, all the credit in the world to Charles, he qualified on pole. He had every right to chase that race win, yeah. but what if he'd lost a little bit of pace or what if science was putting in better time? I think that's what we're going to need to wait and see because we've seen relationships that seem really good suddenly break down in the light of two drivers competing for a race win. One other thing I will add, and I'm I really need to get your feedback on this, and I'm sure we're going to transition to it. Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, they had three epic battles. You know, Max would get him in turn one, and Leclerc would come back in turn T4. I was talking to one of my favorite people in the world about Formula One earlier today. Me? And she was making this observation. Not you. <laughs> you just finished watching the race. <laughs> but, she, you know, she made this really great observation that it looked a little bit, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this because a couple of other podcasts did, but it looked a little bit like Leclerc was playing with Max and, you know, kind of gave him a lot of room in T1. Max gets it and then just steals it right back. And he did it again and again. And to me, it looked it looked a little bit like a killer whale playing with a seal immediately before it eats it that I think signs and I think Leclerc probably had even more pace today than maybe we even know. 
Well, you know what I was really astonished by was just the, the way that Max was able to close that gap down start finish. I mean, it looked even two thirds of the way down that straightaway that he wasn't going to get him. He gets sort of to the end of the pit lane where the pit lane rejoins the track. And all of a sudden he's closing that gap to Charles like you wouldn't believe. I was I was watching it the, the first time I was like, wow, that was crazy. And when it happened the second, third time, I'm like, are you kidding me? What's going on here? But that, that would make a lot of sense because I think the third time it seemed like Charles was going... It, it seemed to me like, I don't know if he lifted or not, but I mean, he seemed like he went into turn one a lot slower than, than Max. I mean, obviously Max has got DRS. He's just flying down there, but that, yeah. that was something. That That's an interesting point of view. I hadn't considered that, to be honest. Yeah, a couple things about that battle because it was really, really interesting. And one of the things that stood out for me the most were Verstappen's uh, outlaps coming out of, out of the pits with uh, these new Pirelli tires and the way that they have the heating blankets now they don't get full heat into the tire like they used to and that's sort of f1's way of going going about weaning these teams off of these heating blankets and just sending sending the drivers out on on cold hard tires which is the way it let's be honest here that's the way it should be okay sure, yeah. like come yep. on anyways the issue is is that on those outlaps the max has to and Max has to do. There's a specific, a specific way of doing it. If he pushes too hard, he sends a massive heat spike through the actual tire, and that actually starts to activate that sort of thermal degradation process a lot sooner than what they would want it to. They would want to gradually bring the heat in because once you set that, send that spike of heat through these Pirelli tires, it's impossible to get them to come back down and hmm. cool and cool down again. That's that's one of the problems. So they were coaching Max on the radio on his outlaps, just really trying to rein him in because he knew that if he were to go, you know, full out on that outlap, he would have caught and passed Leclerc while he was in the pits or coming down pit lane, I should say. And I think once Max gets the lead, he doesn't give it up. I honestly, I honestly think that if Verstappen had, had have really gotten the lead today, he he wouldn't have gave it up. There's there's no there's no way. Um, and then he had he had issues with the brakes as well, and he was being coached on the radio about that. The team was telling him what to do with the brakes. They were telling him not to attack on some points, but he was attacking anyways. He didn't stop attacking. I mean, that's obviously his Max's mentality for sure. And I think there is a number of issues, little tiny issues with this Red Bull that they're going to have to get the grips with. That's why I still feel that Red Bull has the fastest car. I just think that once they start to get things ironed out, they'll be able to show it. Uh, and then you've got Ferrari power, right? I think that Ferrari has, like we'd said closer to the beginning of the show, I think, um, I think they've got one of the most powerful engines on the grid for this season. And, and sort of that, that um, offense to defense with, with Charles Leclerc. I mean, it's easy for him to just give up turn one. Right, because after turn one, it's basically flat out. If you've got a good stable, balanced car, it's flat out from turn one through turn two, through turn three, and then all the way down that little straightaway to turn four. And if you can utilize some of that Ferrari power through there, and you get a good clean exit out of turn one, and you're not being uh, hampered by uh, aero turbulence from Max's car, then you're you're good to go. And that's exactly what Leclerc did. And I think like if you go back to Charles' days when he was with Ferrari. Uh, 2020, 2021, mixing it up with the midfield 
and just learning that sort of race craft. Right. And I think that plays a huge role in what we saw today. I mean, we always discuss like, Hey, Charlotte Claire could be a future champion. Right. I I think today, and I said this on sports center, like, like daily, I I said today, I I think we're seeing that now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, yeah, I mean, as much as it's been painful for the Tifosi over the past couple of years to see their team wallowing in the middle of the grid and say, you know, fighting for, you know, realistically third in the Constructors Championship and not really having a realistic chance to win a race or a championship, there there has been this unintended uh, benefit, like you say, and and for Charles. And I mean, Carlos has been there more in his career with, uh, you know, other stops along the way before he got to Ferrari. But for Charles, it's it's almost like finishing school, right? I mean, we, we knew that right out of the uh, you know right when he came into Formula One that one year that he had with the uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo or whatever they called themselves that first year he was miles ahead of uh, Marcus Ericsson it, it was obvious that this guy was destined for, for higher things then he goes into a Ferrari along Vettel for those uh, those two seasons there and the car wasn't great but it was competitive right and then all of a sudden he goes from the from the back of the grid to the front of the grid and then the last couple of years he's in the middle of the grid and learning like you say to improve on his racecraft so I think it's it's finishing school but I, I think also just to just to sort of maybe dial it back and work this uh, this part into the conversation as well because I, th- I think it works uh, with it together Ferrari might not have the best car yet I mean this 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 will play out over the, the weeks and months ahead compared to say Red Bull and Mercedes but I think after one race after one weekend we can say that Ferrari has the best package and they got two very very good drivers and we saw saw that on uh, display not uh, throughout uh, just the race but also in qualifying and I think that both Charles and like you said as well uh, when we we're talking about maybe uh, Carlos not being happy finishing second that they that they they got a good car and they're both really really hungry to to, to win races Tim, yeah, I, I want to pick away at that point you just made a couple of seconds ago. Yeah. Daily, that's a great observation. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was, I was talking about the fact that I kind of felt that, that, that Leclerc was playing with Max a little bit in mm-hmm. T one, two, three, four before eventually taking the lead. Is your perspective because Daily kind of helped to kind of paint the picture a little bit? But obviously, Max goes into T one. He's got DRS. He's carrying a lot of speed. From your perspective, then, was it strategic on Leclerc's? point that as part of his racecraft, it doesn't make a lot of sense to defend in that corner. You're going to cook your tires. You're going to cook your brakes. You're better off letting him take the lead because you know, you're going to get him T two, three, four. So from your perspective, is that specifically was do he was doing that? Hey, he was using yeah. his intelligence and his racecraft, yeah. knowing that he's going to get that corner back and it's better not to cook the car. Yeah, exactly. And you're exactly right. And that's basically what I was saying. And you actually bring up a good point with, with the tires and especially in that, that, that heavy braking zone, right? Hammy and, and 
heading into turn one in right. Bahrain because you're going from like three three hundred plus kph you know down to like whatever it is like second or third gear <laughs> and so that's a massive amount of deceleration and you're asking so much of the tires to try and slow the car down and with these cars since they're heavier you need to try and have a longer braking zone so you can kind of keep these tires alive because if you're like max you know coming in full steam throws the anchors out at like the 75 50 meter mark uh, you're going to really use up a lot of the tire and you're going to use it up really fast and so for charles it's just hey i know what he's going to do here he's going to be uber aggressive i'm going to let that really ruin his race and i'll take advantage of that coming out of turn one two i just need to get a good solid um, hit the apex in turn one, get a good exit. And, th- and that's exactly what he kept doing. Just kept doing it, kept doing it. And then Max just kept doing the same thing over <laughs> and over and over again. Well, that that, that uh, shows like a really great um, understanding of the guy that's behind him for, from yeah. Charles then, right? Because he, we, we all know that uh, given the, the the opportunity, Max will always take that 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 aggressive move to, to overtake somebody in front of him. So maybe that's exactly what Charles was doing, just to you know let Max take it and then know that the next two, three corners, yeah, I, my car's better through here. And uh, well, I mean, Max did lock up on one of those, I guess it was, was it the, the second or the third attempt? Because after that, you know, yeah, he I dropped back. Yeah, it was the last one. It was the it's last the one. Attempt. Yeah, because he sort of dropped back from about 1.4. I think it went back to about like three seconds or something like that. He never was really able to get close to him. I mean, of course, I, I guess he had to, to manage those tire temperatures but uh, afterwards. But uh, yeah, that's, that's an incredible uh, discussion. Or, uh, so Charles Leclerc now, 82 Grand Prix <clears throat> deep in his career, 14 podiums, 10 poles, and three race wins. Of course, the two previous race wins, Belgium and Italy after the summer break in 2019. Yep. Shortly thereafter, Ferrari's power suddenly magically vanished because of some <laughs> dodgy shenanigans that were happening in Marinello. But where did the two of you put this in? And again, a short career, 80 races, four or five seasons. Is this his best performance we've ever seen can we even compare belgium and italy knowing that there's some shenanigans there mm-hmm. is this the best single grand prix performance you, maybe the best weekend you've seen out of charles leclerc so far mm, that's a really great question because i thought he was really good in in spa i really did considering and, and all the same the, for, for, for monza because i mean it wasn't charles yeah. that that was you know responsible for the uh, you know the dodgy things going on with the power unit I mean, he held off uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton for basically an entire race. I mean, that, you know, I mean, he did have an advantage in in the engine, but I mean, it wasn't like he was, he he beat them by like 30 seconds. I mean, they were breathing down his neck basically the entire race, right? I I don't want to take away from that because that that was as much, if not more so the driver at at a power track like Monza and that uh, that win in Belgium. But I mean, just... um, I would think that this weekend was just a really solid, complete weekend. I mean, he didn't put a wheel wrong all weekend, so that's, I, I, that's I, fair. I, I would think just on the on that fact alone, I think it shows a real maturity, you know, like in, in the development at this stage in his career. I think that's maybe the where I'm going with this. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I thought, you know, for for me, his his win in in Spa was was really remarkable because of obviously the death of Antoine Hubert during yep. that weekend and all of that. He kind of, you know, he had to go through with the other drivers as well, mentally. Uh, in, and that's not, that's not easy. Right. I mean, it's really hard to do sad as, as well. And, and for some of those guys, sometimes it's hard to get back in the car after, after seeing a good friend like that pass away. And so 
I, I thought Spa for, for him was a magnificent um, victory. But today as well, unbelievable. I thought he was incredible today. Like I was saying, just as I guess you would call it, you know, defense to offense sort of uh, tactics that he was using on Max were, were superb. Um, he tapped out that race tempo when he when he needed to, uh, and he just controlled it. He just controlled the race. And even hearing him after qualifying, he still wasn't even happy like with the lap. Like it was a great lap, and he still just he wasn't even happy with it. And an interesting note that he had mentioned was that he's still working on the driving style for this car. And that hmm. impresses the heck out of me that considering all of the things that all of these drivers have to go through, they are all still trying to learn a different driving style to get these cars, to get the performance out of these cars. And, you know, I'd even asked uh, George Russell about this on, on Saturday. And he said, yeah, like <laughs> you have to try and find a new driving style for this thing. And it can be quite a, quite a challenge. And for, for Leclerc, for him to come out and just openly admit, Hey, like I'm still trying to figure out the right driving style for this car. Hmm. That's impressive. Yeah, totally. That's impressive. Cause yeah. <laughs> well, what happens if he, once he figures it out, right. That, I mean, that's a shot across the bow, right? I mean, if, if, <laughs> if, if that, you know, people didn't sit up and take notice of what Charles Leclerc did at uh, Sahir <laughs> this weekend, then that, that'd be like, say what? There, there's more to come. You can get more out of this car. That's yeah. That's that, that's incredible. Uh, you guys want to talk about Kevin Magnuson? Yeah, I, we have to talk about Kevin Magnuson. Right on, absolutely. Yeah, because like uh, that was one hell of a race from K Mag, finishing fifth. Uh, Mick Schumacher uh, with one of his best performances as well uh, in Formula One. Um, what do you guys think? Can we expect this over a full championship from from Haas? I would hope so. I mean. <laughs> We've been kind of cynical, and it's a you know their lack of performance and some of the choices that they've made, uh, sort of business de decisions, have been a bit of a running joke on our podcast. But you know, I mean, honestly, it's it's not really all that funny when you think about it because this is a team when they came into Formula One a number of years ago, they they were pretty competitive, like right yeah. out of the shoot, and they had several good seasons, and then they just kind of dropped off. And the last couple of years, they've just kind of been wallowing around there at the back of the grid, but. It was great to see. I, I must admit that um, I raised a bit of an eyebrow when they brought K-Mag back in uh, on basically last minute notice. But I mean, he has that, obviously he has that relationship uh, with the team. He's only one year removed from being one of their drivers. I mean, he only missed 2021 and he has been racing elsewhere. So, I mean, he's kept those uh, irons in the fire. And I thought he looked really, really good. And I thought, well, if this is a car that's capable to put it in the points for Magnuson, who's obviously an experienced Grand Prix driver, then my expectation for Mick Schumacher is he should be challenging to get that car into the points. And I would expect if they can keep this up over the course of the season, I would expect to see Mick put it into the points a couple, if not several times before we get to Yas in December. I know that's a big ask for a young guy, but... And this is based on one race, but that's, uh, you know, should it continue? That's, I think it's exciting for them, right? I really do. I, hesi I hesitate to call it a master plan, but if, <laughs> if Haas's master plan two weeks ago when all of this went down was to bring in a more experienced driver that can help score some points and really function as a benchmark for, for Mick, then I think it, it's paying off big time. And, you know, I said this on the spaces chat earlier today, last year in so many ways was a write-off for Mick. He was rocking a car that was almost entirely a carryover from 2020, which itself was a carryover from 2019. His <clears throat> teammate was Nikita Mazepan. 
There was absolutely no benchmark. He wasn't able to look at meaningful telemetry. He wasn't able to look at meaningful data. Now he's got this guy who Haas brought in because he's got familiarity with the team, the factory, the engineers. He knows everybody. He's got a great relationship there. He can he can put the car in the points, which we now know, but he's going to be able to work with Mick and share telemetry and share data, which is going to help help develop Mick, which is obviously the, the master plan here. Their grand ambition is to create a really stellar performer in Mick Schumacher. And they're better now equipped to do that because they've got a more competent driver in that other car. The one interesting thought I had earlier today too is Magnussen has a really interesting career, right? Like if you flash back to 2014, he scored his first and to date only pole in his first ever race at the Australian Grand Prix. He scored a second place finish. Since then, he's only had four top five finishes, including today. So hmm. for him, I think it's a, it's a bit of a renaissance. And I think it's really great to see now whether Haas are going to be able to consistently place their cars and the points. I don't know if they're going to be in the top five or the points, top six, but I think they will definitely be fighting at the front of the midfield because I think and we're probably going to get there. Aston Martin, McLaren, <laughs> Williams, they're leaving an awful lot of opportunity for Haas yep. to score points at this point. And, you know, just on that other point real quick, too, because I made some no notes about this, but you, you talk a little bit earlier about how integrated Haas is with Ferrari. If you look at the way that the FIA and the technical regulations classify all the parts in the cars, they, they list parts as either listed team components, LTCs. These are parts that you can develop yourself. Or you can buy from somebody else, but they have to be based on your designs and your IP or there's transferable components. And these are parts that another team can buy and sell on to another team. And there's a whole host of parts that are considered transferable. So that's things like clutches, gearbox internals, mm -hmm. gearbox cases, front suspension, rear suspension, power steering, rear axles, all those kind of pieces. Hmm. Everything that Haas can buy from Ferrari, they do every single part. So from the power unit to the gearbox, to the suspension, they buy it all. So if Ferrari's in a really good place, that does bode really, really, really well for Haas. Yeah. And if you look at uh, Alfa Romeo as well, obviously having a great, a solid showing from oh, them. With Bottas, yeah. Bottas yep. six and Guan Yu Zhou scoring his first points in formula one um, or Zhou Guan Yu, I should say, excuse me. Um, yeah. I, they actually developed their, their own own gearbox yeah. because the one that comes from Ferrari. Yeah. And it's because the ones that come from Ferrari don't actually fit with what they're trying to do, like what their philosophy is. So it is really interesting to see how heavily Haas kind of really leans on that relationship with, with Ferrari. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like if they start, you know, if they start scoring really great results, I mean, it don't, don't don't put it past any of the uh, team principals to go to the FIA and start saying, "Hey, we need to do a little deep dive and whatever it is yeah. going on over <laughs> yeah. here with this team." So definitely, don't be definitely. surprised if yeah that ends up happening. You mentioned um, Hammy, uh, you know, just a horror show that's going on with McLaren, Aston <laughs> Martin, Will Yuck. Williams this weekend. Like yikes! Oh my god, I don't think anybody expected that, especially not from McLaren after seeing how great they did in Barcelona. With testing there, and then they came to Bahrain. Daniel Ricardo gets COVID. Lando Norris logs all of the miles in in testing, and this car looked like it didn't look good. It looked undrivable. Uh, same with the Aston Martin, and same with the Williams. I mean, guys, did we really expect these three teams to be that far off the pace? Well, certainly not uh, Aston Martin, and uh, well, definitely not McLaren. I'd hope for for more from Aston Martin this year. 
and based on what we saw last year with Williams, like they, they had a, a, what I would say was a really positive 2021. I mean, sure, they weren't winning races, but I mean, based on where they've been since basically 2017, it was good, positive, concrete movement, f- excuse me, forward. And now it seems like it's just sort of evaporated like dust in the wind and McLaren, it was just uh, painful. And just going back and thinking about qualifying when, uh, you know, at the end of Q1, comes over the radios like, yeah Danny that was P18 just you know hearing the disappointment and almost the resignation in in, in Ricardo's voice was just like oh man I, I really feel for the guy yeah you I got I work to do tons Mark, tons uh, you and I were so high on Aston Martin last year that I think I think we learned and I think we were a little bit more conservative this year oh I've we been hurt bro they hurt me predictions yeah, dude, I feel you, man. And and I, I feel justified a little bit in the fact that we we predicted they were going to have a challenging season. But Tim, full disclosure, the only reason I'm doing this podcast today is I need an explanation from you as to what's going wrong with McLaren and Aston Martin Williams. And, you know, I'm not the biggest Alex Albon fan in the world, but after seeing him drag that car into Q2 and then even look a little chippy, a little bit racy in the early parts of the race today, you know what? I, I need an understanding or explanation of what's going so wrong for these teams. Yeah. One of the things is with these cars and I talked to a couple of the drivers about it and a lot of them say the exact same thing where this is going to be very track dependent for, for a lot of these teams hmm. where we go to Bahrain and the surface or the asphalt there, I should say is it's kind of rough, right? It's, it's kind of, I would say like kind of grainy almost and also the change in temperatures. So if we go to uh free practice three on Saturday before qualifying, uh, Aston Martin looked pretty strong. I think, I think Lance punched into the top 10 and at the time the ambient temperature is quite hot. So generating heat into the tire for the Aston Martin wasn't, wasn't a huge issue. It wasn't until the evening when they did qualifying that you saw like a lot of the performances just really just drop off a cliff. Hmm. And a lot of it has to do with this tire and how these teams are able to generate the heat like within within the tire because there is a sweet spot with with this Pirelli tire as well. Now, I don't expect these these three teams to struggle like this when we start going to other tracks. Like if we go to Barcelona, I actually see a team like Williams doing quite well there because it's it's a it's a high speed circuit for the most part and I think their package works best on a high speed circuit. I don't think necessarily it works well on a track like Bahrain because in all honesty guys in Bahrain is not that fast, right? I mean the straightaways are fast, but when it comes to the corners, it's some of the slower corners on on the race calendar. So mm-hmm. It's things like that that we, we kind of have to take a look at when we're kind of combing through all of this data. I think Aston Martin, I think they were shocked too. I don't think they expected this. And I think they they have sort of pinpointed some of their key issues. And I think one of them is this tire and how they're generating heat in it, especially when the, the ambient temperature is what it is. So I know Lawrence Stroll isn't happy. So <laughs> Guaranteed, we'll see right? See what happens. <laughs> I mean... I mean, you know, talking to Lance and, you know, I've known Lance for a really long time and I can tell when I can tell when, when he's not happy and I can tell when he's, he's headed for a bad season. I can just see it. He, he wears his kind of his heart on his, on his sleeve really. And when things are going well, when the car is working well, he's really happy. He's like, he's always got a smile on his face. He's always excited to be there, but when things aren't going well, he just, 
you can just tell. And coming into this weekend, I mean, he looked in a good mood, guys. Like I talked mm. to him on Thursday. He was excited. He thought they have great prospects for this season with this car. And I, I, I just think that we're not seeing everything that, that we can be seeing. And I think we're, I think things are going to change with all three of those teams. Once we start visiting new racetracks, you know, the full disclosure, you know, I'm not close with Lawrence Stroll, you know, I'm not on his, you know, VIP calling list, but, you know, going back and watching the Drive to Survive season three, when he walks into the factory the first time and he's in that meeting with everyone and the way that, you know, his presence and the way that, I mean, he just has this intimidating presence about him. And I can't imagine that a man like Lawrence Stroll that's been so successful in so many other areas is, is going to be extremely pleased about a situation like this, especially if it continues. I mean, he'll, you know, yeah. you have to think that he's not going to wait too long yeah. to make changes, whatever it might be, to get the team pointed in the right direction. Because it, it, let's face it, it's it's not a vanity project for the Strolls. This is yeah, a serious but, thing that they're doing, right? Exactly. And that's a great point that you make. But like, we also have to remember, and I think he has <laughs> to, he understands that they've made they've made a ton of change at that team, right? Yeah. I mean, gone is Otmar Safner. He leaves at kind of the last minute as team principal of that team. In comes Mike Crack from Formula E. And Martin Whitmarsh as well is now at the top, kind of overseeing all of these things. They have like an, whatever it is, an $80 million new state-of-the-art factory that they're building as well at the same time with a brand new wind tunnel and also state-of-the-art. State and so you have all of these moving pieces on one side, and then you have all of this internal restructuring. And I, you know, I kind of tell people this a lot. I mean, you know, when you look at a Formula One team, yes, if you have a great driver, but if your team is not organized, they don't have everything together. If they're not a team and they all, if they don't work together, especially at the factory and also at the racetrack, and if those two departments don't communicate well, you're, you're not going to be successful. The car won't, the car won't get better and you're just going to keep struggling. It's just a giant snowball effect really i mean if you look at williams it's a perfect example right struggled this weekend but again right bringing in uh doralton having yos capito come in fx as well they redesign how track and they redesign how track and factory communicate with each other and that's important right it's super super important and yes i think they're expecting more from this weekend and you know mark h you mentioned you know alex albin he he did do a really great job but again like what, you know, what is he doing differently than what Nicholas Latifi is doing differently? I mean, I, I yeah, know totally. Nicholas, I've known him, I've known him for a very long time. And I, you know, I cannot tell you enough. He is a talented driver. He knows what he's doing at the end of the day for, for Nicholas. Sometimes when there's new tires introduced, it takes him just a tiny bit longer to kind of learn, learn the tire and kind of figure things out to things that kind of work for work for him. Right. He's not like a, He's not like a moving chicane and he's not, a, he's hmm. not crashing all the time. He has great car control. I mean, I know for a fact he has great car control and, and I think for, for him, once he kind of finds the sweet spot with his setup and what he actually needs to make this car go quickly, he'll be competitive. I mean, we already saw it in free practice too. He's faster than Albon. I mean, it's, it, he, he can do all of these things, but it's just for him. It just takes just a couple beats longer. But once he kind of gets it, man, he can be he can be a damn quick driver. 
Well, let's hope so, right? You know, there's it's no fun watching somebody struggle, regardless uh, who it is. And just even going back to like what you're saying about Lance coming into the weekend in Bahrain, feeling really upbeat. You know, I have to be, uh, you know, honest here that when I heard the news that Seb had COVID, I just kind of had that sort of feeling that it was kind of like a harbinger of things to come. I'm just like, that's not the way that you want to start the, the the first race of the year. And not that that affects anything that happened on the track, but I, I just had like a, a, a real negative vibe. It was just a, the, the wrong way to start the season for them. One last thing I just wanted to add to the to my Williams point that I kind of t- totally blanked on and something that's actually really, really important that not a lot of people are talking about. If you guys recall, at the end of the 2021 season, the teams did a Pirelli tire test mm-hmm. at the end, and it was to test this 18-inch tire. One of the teams that didn't take part in that was Williams, and that is a massive massive amount of data on that tire that they didn't collect at the start to start this season off. So they were coming in to these tests flying blind with this 18 inch tire where other teams had that leg up. They had that advantage because they did that test. Instead, Williams ran, they ran Logan Sargent one day and I can't remember what they did the next, but at the end of all of it, they didn't run the 18 inch tire and that is extremely important that yeah. I think puts them a bit more on the back foot than most teams. Do we know why they didn't uh, take part in that uh, tire test? Is They just didn't for whatever reason. For whatever reason, they just decided against it. And yeah, I really, I really think that that's something that's biting them, biting them big time here to start off this season. Mm. Um, moving on to, to Red Bull. And I guess this, uh, Hammy, what is it? The Red Red Bull powertrain, Red Bull Honda. They, you know, Honda Honda's deciding to come back. Are they coming back? We don't really know. I mean, we should just say Honda it rolls way. off the tongue easier than than Red Bull powertrains or RBPT. <laughs> you know, <laughs> either way, they look good, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, it was it was a it was a crazy weekend for Red Bull because qualifying practice, they, they looked as sharp, I think, as we expected them to. And it is funny because a lot of people online and on the internet and pundits and analysts, they're really struggling to understand who the provider is of the current power units. And just to be clear, <clears throat> power units that are in the Red Bull today, tomorrow, right through the end of 2025, they are being supplied by Honda from a factory in Honda. Now, there is a Red Bull powertrains division, but their principal objective right now is to develop the power unit that we're going to see in 2026, which will be something comparable to what we have today, minus the MGUK, and with a whole lot more reliance on harvesting power from the braking system. Or sorry, minus the MGUH and more reliance on the MGUK. But I think what we saw today, and this is going to be a really interesting storyline over the next couple of days, is we obviously saw Max struggling with a whole bunch of technical gremlins. He was having issues with the steering. He was having issues with the brakes. And then ultimately, at one point, he thought he was having issues with the battery. And the team's like, no, 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 it's not the battery. It's not the electrical system, but we know what it is. We think now that both he and his teammate, Sergio Perez, suffered from a power fuel supply, a fuel pump uh, failure, sorry. And this is interesting because it's not as though this is a part that's developed within the team. So the high pressure fuel pump is actually listed as a standard supply component. So this is a part that the teams are not allowed to develop themselves. Rather, the FIA goes to a specific supplier and says, hey, Mr. F1 team, you have to buy that specific 
part from this specific team. And in this case here, it's an Italian-based company that provides these uh, high-pressure fuel pumps to all of the teams. And at least early on, the thought is that the failure that both of these teams had was related to the fuel pump. Now, it could have been the electrical system feeding the fuel pump. It could have been something unrelated to the actual mechanism itself, but something feeding it or supplying it or powering it. But the early feedback is that both cars failed because they ran lean the power or the fuel pumps failed. Now, this is interesting because there could be all kinds of controversy about the fact that, hey, the FIA is saying we can't develop this part. We were provided with this part and we had a double DNF because we were running the standard supply component that you were telling us to run. So interesting and an unfortunate way for them potentially to have double DNF'd on the first race weekend of the year. 100%, especially with how competitive, obviously, both, both drivers were, right? I mean, they looked really good. Max looks incredible. Championship winning form for sure. Um, but yeah, it's a great point that you bring up about that fuel pump, because once I, once I had, uh, read that that was a suspected component that had failed, I was like, oh no, Twitter's yeah, going to like, exact just, same, oh, exact same. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take another round of this, uh, uh strong performance, <laughs> strong performance from Yuki Sonoda guys. I mean, finishing the points from where he started, wow. uh, you know, the weekend really started off a bit of a struggle for him but um yeah looks good doesn't he looks really good well he's kind of picking up where he left off uh, at the end of the season where did he end uh, in in yes was it fourth i think it was if i remember correctly but i mean uh, compared to at least this time last year when he got into the points in bahrain in his first race as a, as a formula one driver i think was uh, was great and you know i thought it was kind of insightful that one uh, episode of dts that focused on yuki and you know him li- living in milton Keynes, looking at living in a bachelor pad that looked worse than you know, <laughs> than the place that i lived in when when i before i was married but uh, you know <laughs> that being completely different it it seemed that once they moved him to italy it, it also corresponded with the, the that the stronger finish that he had to 2021 then i mean he started good and then he he kind of tailed off. He kind of lost his way, but I thought he looked good and it was disappointing to see. I mean, it's good for him because out of all four Red Bull cars, he was the only one that that, that made it home and it was good to see. But, you know, to, to dial it back for a second, I was really more disappointed to see Perez retire than, say, Max, because Max, it was kind of building. Like, he'd been talking about, like, the, right. the issues he was having right. with the car. He was getting kind of frantic on the radio at one point, I thought. Yeah. And it came down to that last lap. I'm like, okay, Checo, show us what you got. You, one lap versus Lewis, you know, can you stay, can you put your car, you're keeping in front of him. And then, well, as we know, the going to Detroit. Yeah, it, it would have been, it would have been fun to watch and see if he could have done in, in Bahrain what he did in Abu Dhabi, see if he could have done it again. But, oh, well, <laughs> it wasn't to be. Tim, when you were on our show last week, I had something of an aha moment because you made this great point about the fact that, look, Yuki's this incredible talent. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be in Formula One, but he was... He was not at the level physically and mentally that he needs to be to be a really competitive Formula One driver. And DTS does this really good job of saying, showing that, hey, you know what? Christian Horner picked up on the fact that we need to pick him up out of Milton Keynes, stick him into the Franz finishing school in Italy and get his ass into shape. And I think for me this year, one of the things I'm most excited to see now is... You know, he scored seven points finishes last year. He had that great finish that you just referenced daily in Abu Dhabi when he finished fourth. I'm incredibly excited to see what he can do over the course of a 23 race calendar, knowing now that he's in a better place mentally and a better place physically. And, you know, he was doing some post-race interviews today. He looked much, much sharper and he sounded... a 
he sounded like a different guy. I think last year he used a lot of profane language and Hmm. he wasn't trying to necessarily be articulate and he was sharing frustrations that you would probably need to keep in the debrief room after the race that you wouldn't want to share in the public. He's just his professionalism, his entire approach to the race seems to be different this year. Tim, and now this is a question for you and all the contacts that you have within Formula One. Can you give us any more insight into what kind of an operator France Tost is? What kind of like yeah, team principal he is? Is he? Okay. <laughs> he's, he's tough. Yeah, he's definitely a tough team principal for sure. Um, you know, that whole sort of Red Bull driver development ladder, like guys, you know, it's very cutthroat. So yeah. the drivers that they're bringing along, only the only the cream kind of rise to the, to the top, right? The best of the best comes through the driver development program in Red Bull. And that's where they're going to pick them from. And for... France Toss, I mean, he's just as he, he, you know, he he's just as strict as you know as the others, as Doctor Helmut Marco, as Christian Horner. Hmm. But again, you know, Christian does also have a little bit of, you know, he he does have a little bit of power within Alpha Tower, not a hundred percent, but he does have a little bit of say of like, hey, you know, if Yuki's not doing this, well, you bring him here, and this is what he's going to do, and you take him through the the France Toss finishing school, is whatever <laughs> they called it, and. And yeah, put him put him through the ringer. Let's see what he's got because I uh, I tell you what, guys. I mean, if 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 um if he wasn't talented, like I always say, he wouldn't be there. But at yep. the same time, the fitness has to come with it as well. And you're not willing to put the work in, you're not going to last because physically, these cars this season are way harder to drive than they ever have been. So yeah, if you're not in shape. You're not going to go well, but looking at Yuki, it does look like he's put quite a bit of work in in the offseason. So, yeah. Next up, um, guys, we're headed to Jeddah Street Circuit. Um, We were there, what, four months ago? I think it was (laughs) seems like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think there's been a few track changes to it to kind of help with uh, safety issues. But I think because they made these changes, they also made the track faster from doing these changes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to get a read on this track because, I mean, that that race we had there back in, when was it, November, was just so disjointed. What with December, all the crash? December, was it December? Man. Oh, my God. It was even more recent. Um, yeah, it was just so disjointed just because of all the incidents that we saw basically right from the green lights to the checkered flag. And they've made, like, I love the list. Oh, yeah, we're going to just make a couple of changes. And you see the list of changes. Well, we made turn changes at turn three, four, five, six, seven, twenty, you know, 12. And it's just like, that's basically the whole track. <laughs> so who knows? Uh, but, but you know, obviously safety comes first. And I just hope that, uh, that, that it translates to a much better Saudi Grand Prix in 21 compared to, or sorry, 22 compared to 2021. Yeah. Pammy, what say you? Yeah, I think this is going to be a demonstration of that point you made a couple of minutes ago about the fact that certain teams that underperformed this weekend could do better or possibly even excel in, in different conditions. And I think weather-wise, uh, humidity, temperature, Jetta is going to be pretty similar, but the track surface is totally different. You yeah, know, Jetta is a street circuit with a brand new ice, ice smooth surface versus yeah, good point. You made that great point about Bahrain. It's a heavy aggregate that shipped in from the UK mm-hmm. and it just takes tears tires apart. Jetta is smooth as ice. And I think, 
for some of these teams, like the good news is there's some familiarity there. Daily, you make a really good point about the fact that they've made a significant number of revisions to this track, which could potentially make it a little bit faster. But some of the real feedback that came out last year, especially from uh, the Grand Prix Driver Association president, George Russell, was that there are some flat out sections of this track that are also blind because they put ever so slight chicanes. And that was really terrifying to the drivers because we're expected to go to flat out in this corner because we can, and we need to be competitive. But if there's an incident ahead, we don't see it until we're on top of it. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be straightening out a lot of those chicanes. There's a few sections where they're going to widen the track in the hope of reducing some of that contact between the drivers and the barricades, which led to some of those red flag conditions and the restarts, but it's going to be really interesting. Now, I think for me, what's going to be really interesting is there are some tight sections on this track. Like if you look at, I think, corner 13, turn 27, 23, 24, those are some pretty tight, difficult to maneuver sections of the track. And these cars now are 50 kilograms heavier than they were previously. There's significantly more unsprung weight because you're rocking those 18 inch wheels and there's new tire combos. And you know what? I, I saw somebody compare some of these formula one cars and this is a bit disingenuous, but they're like a cow compared to what we had last year. Like mm. they were so light and so agile and so easy to rotate. I think that we could see some surprises again next weekend, but what I'm really curious to see is how these teams and these drivers maneuver these corners. And then the other consideration too is, you know, we're going to be three, four weeks removed from Barcelona, a couple of weeks removed from winter testing in Bahrain. This is the point where some of these teams are probably going to start bringing some upgrades anyways, because they're already in the pipeline. So the cars that we see this coming weekend, probably not as much as they will be in Australia and Melbourne in three weeks from now, but the car should be different even than what we saw just a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's great stuff, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you guys taking the time uh, to do this. This was awesome. Um, yeah, promote whatever you got. What's going on? Pammy, you take it. You're the master of the social media. Yeah. So if you don't already know, we've got our own F1 fantasy league going. So if we're one weekend in, it's too late to join. But if you did join and you are listening to us, make sure you stick onto our Twitter feed because you will see all of our updates there. We'll also share those updates as they come in over the course of the next couple of weeks and months. You can also find us on Twitter. That is our primary form of communication and community building with our listeners at Scuderia F1 pod. If you need to reach out to us for any reason by email, you can get to us at Scuderia F1 pod at gmail.com. Mark Daly can be found at, at Mark Daly F1, and I can be found at Mark in Van City on both Twitter and Instagram. So if you want to reach out, we'd love to love to hear from you. That was impressive. Yeah, well done. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> guys, thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Tim, as always. Thanks, Tim.